Good morning, quarantine! Welcome back. Hopefully you're coming into this one uh, from the last one, which was all about fear, that being episode 4.1. If not, good, I recommend go checking that out because this one addresses a lot of the, the topics brought up in that one, and I don't want you to be missing out and lose out on the context. Had a little bit of some recording hiccups uh, going from the last one into this one. So I'm just going to throw in an introduction so that uh, we're not completely lost. But with that, I'll go by Gerg during our time together, and you, my smart and capable friend, are well-versed in what this channel is all about by this time. But if you're not, go check out the previous segments, because they do all play into each other. That being said, you'll definitely want to stick around if you want to see where this train of thought is going. Like I keep suggesting, I'll try to keep these segments short and regular, but they will try to provoke thought and movement. You know, like a good poop. So let's jump into it. As I mentioned earlier, the last half of this segment, that being uh, episode 4.1, or at least what I'm calling 4.1 right now, was all about fear because, um, and it was all about the understanding of fear, where, where it comes from, what are um, generally what our responses to it, both physical, physiological, and um, why we have fear to begin with. Because with understanding something, you're able to address it more effectively. And that's what this is all about. That's what this uh, channel is all about, is being more effective in times of adversity. So with that said, let's jump right into it and understand how to address fear now, now that we have a better understanding of it. So I'm going to start right off with a metaphor right now, because I like metaphors. Hopefully you do too. Uh, I find them to be an easy way to, to grasp things, but moving on. So think, for example, that you're running away from something or you're watching a scary movie uh, and the protagonist is running away from something. And that protagonist is... Uh, He's running, he's ahead of whatever the threat is, but where's his focus? It's probably not on where he's trying to go, right? He's ducking, he's dodging, he's jumping over tree branches. Sure, he might be focused in the moment, but his focus isn't necessarily on where he's going. He probably doesn't have a great idea of where he's going unless he decided that before he was afraid. He's probably focused on... He's probably focused on the threat behind him, that antagonist who is coming after him, that antagonist that's um, just, you know, beyond his reach. So that's a great example, um, in my opinion. That's why I brought it up, because, you know, I'm the one talking. Anyways, the message here is that fear is a great motivator. And we hear that all the time. Fear is a great motivator. And that's true. But fear can only prevent Fear can only prevent a circumstance from happening or can prevent the circumstances we already are in from persisting. Think, for example, any of those success stories you hear of people clawing out of depravity, clawing out of poverty, and just succeeding in life because they persevered. And there's some key words there. Yes, they, they persevered in the end. But by the time they were getting to the point where they became truly successful when they are making strides, they no longer had any fear. They might have used fear to get away from their circumstances, to get away from poverty, because, again, um, like a previous segment suggested, because of that abrupt change that they, they recognized in their lives, whether it was immediate and they decided, I need something to change, or whether it was a persistent circumstance that they, they had an abrupt change in their mind and said, no more of this, I will not accept this any longer. They introduced that abrupt change in their mind, and that's when fear kicked in and said, no, I, I cannot be in this situation anymore. And that fear, even if it was only for a short period of time, it was the motivator to push them 
out of that situation. And that's why fear is such a good thing inherently, because it does get us away from things that we perceive to be a threat. However, you cannot persist in a state of fear in order to grow. You can only use fear to prevent a situation. You can only use fear to prevent a circumstance, to prevent something from happening to you. In that horror movie, you can only use the fear to get away from the adversary, to get away from uh, the, the antagonist, but fear will not take you where you're trying to go. It'll only get you away from something else. In order to grow, we have to have something more than fear. And we also have to have a foundation and that's what I talked about in a lot of the previous segments. We have to have a foundation so that when fear hits, we have something to stand on and to climb up from. We can fall back on something that's hopefully above our breaking point, something that's above our rock bottom. And once we hit a rock bottom, if it truly is the rock bottom, that's when you start getting that fear state because you know you can't go down any farther. You know you, have, you can only go up from there, right? So we're trying to build the foundation so that if something does happen, if we do have an abrupt change or if we realize and we create an abrupt change in our mind saying, hey, I'm not going to accept this any longer, you can have a place to start from. So another metaphor, think about treading water, and you're treading water to prevent yourself from drowning. Now, personally, I'm not that great at treading treading water. I've, uh, I've tried doing it plenty of times as a, uh, as a kind of endurance technique, and it's, it's not my skill, not a swimmer here. But um, even though I can do it, it's highly exhausting, and I cannot do it without my arms, um, that whole water polo thing where they do the egg reader, not my, not my cup of tea. But anyways, you're treading water, you're trying to keep yourself from drowning, you're keeping your head above water, sure, you're preventing yourself from drowning, and that's good. However, how much easier would it be if you were sitting on a platform that was in the water, but you're, you're not putting any effort into maintaining, uh, you're keeping your head above water, you're not, you're, even your torso's out of water. Think of those uh, weird step things that are in pools that aren't steps to get in or out of the pool, they're just kind of in the pool below the water to hang out, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I don't personally have a pool. I don't know what they're called, but I like to use that as an example because that's a place, yes, you're still underwater, uh, but your head is above water. It won't take a whole lot of effort to get out. Stop that metaphor. I could ramble on for days. Um, but anyways, you might be thinking, okay, okay, that all makes sense. That all makes sense, Gerd. But what, but you know, I like to be fearful sometimes. There, there are circumstances where uh, fears, I, I enjoy it. I like going to horror movies. I enjoy that kind of experience. I like jumping out of airplanes. Um, that, you know, that, that adrenaline rush I get from doing that, that's fear, right? And yeah, that, that is fear. However, the reason why, and I would argue the reason you enjoy that thing is because you know the outcome. You know what the circumstances are on the other side, or at least you're confident of those circumstances. Going into a scary movie, you're looking at the you're looking at it saying, "Hey, I want to be scared. I want that adrenaline rush. I want that spike of excitement." However, I know that at the end of the movie, I'm going to come out and uh, go on my merry way. Or jumping out of an airplane, you know that, um, "Hey, I have a parachute. I know what I'm doing, or at least I trust the person who's with me. <laughs> I trust they know what they're doing." And I expect to land on the ground uh, unscathed, or at least relatively so. Maybe just a few broken bones. Um, but if we're jumping out of an airplane and we don't have a parachute or we're forced out of an airplane and uh, we, we don't know how it's going to turn out, I guarantee that uh, you would be a little bit more fearful, if not indefinitely so. Uh, and in the scary movie example, if you were thrust into the situation that the characters were in and you, were, you didn't know you were in a movie, and you didn't know how things were going to turn out on the other side, that's, that would probably be pretty scary. I don't, I don't care how mild of a horror movie that is. You'd probably be a little bit more scared in those circumstances. 
hopefully you're, you're following the same train of thought as me. And if not, I, I'd love to hear some comments. There's a Facebook page for the channel now. Go throw those in. I'd love to hear feedback on this. Um, so, but if you're following my same train of thought, what can we do about it? Well, in the previous segment or one of the previous segments, one of the tools in, the, in your kind of your toolkit that I introduced was a skill that is practicable and you can build a build upon. It's part of your foundation. It's called reframe. And it's a very important tool as part of your mental foundation. Reframe again, uh, just for just for rehash, is recognizing a situation. So a situation happens, you can't control what has happened in the past. You realize you're in a situation. You recognize your initial thoughts. So those initial thoughts, your mind jumps to some kind of thought. It's going to be automatic. You you can't really control that initial thought, and that thought is probably going to be pretty primitive in that this is a bad situation or this is a good situation. Now those thoughts are derived from your morals and every and your values and everything like that, but nonetheless you still have that initial thought and from that thought jumps into an emotional response and from that emotional response is going to drive a physical reaction and a physiological response now if we get inside that loop and this was this is the whole concept of reframe if we get inside that loop and we decide okay this is my initial thought i recognize my initial thought that this is good or bad that this is dangerous or this is um exciting and you say, this is what I'm going to think next. This is where I introduce critical thinking. This is where I introduce objectivity. Once you get those thoughts and you actually inject those thoughts in, inject the follow-on thoughts, then you can control your emotional response, or at least you can have better influence over your emotional response. And that's where we want to be to be effective. That's where we want to be if we want to grow in any kind of situation or if we want to grow in our life, recognizing the response. Now you might be thinking, okay, and you, uh, Gerg, you talked about how to how to practice that uh, more regularly. But what what if we become too good at that? And to answer that, refer back to the previous segment, um, the previous part of this segment on fear, where I talked about the negativity bias. Now negativity bias is that natural instinct to recognize bad situations or recognize things that per our values, per our experiences, we recognize as bad situations. Now that's inherent. That's also an inherited response. That is a natural response and that's never going to go away. And that natural instinct is always going to be there. So once you get good at differentiating, yes, this is a good thing or contrary to that, once you can identify it, you can still jump into that autopilot response. You just, ha but you can have a little bit more control over each case. Is critical thinking required here or is it not? And if it's not, you say, nope, this is dangerous. Let's roll with that autopilot, uh, freeze, flight, flee, or fight response. But what do we do if we actually want to have, if we want to be able to grow from this? Well, not only do we have to understand fear, but we also have to understand how it uniquely affects us. And I kind of referenced some of that in the reframe piece a minute ago. We have to contribute to our foundational understanding of how we operate in certain situations. And fear being a very big and basic emotional response is something we want to understand how we personally respond to that. So recall from the previous part of the segment, the first piece on fear, that fear is the root of a lot of other emotions. It's a very basic fear, like I said before. Uh, so disgust is the fear of contamination. And again, I'm no expert on, on these types of things, but these are what makes sense to me. Stress is the fear of circumstance. Anxiety is the fear of future events. Even anger, anger is more of a response to fear, however, uh, it might be an escape from the fear of vulnerability or the fear of compromise. So as you can kind of see, all those things have a root in fear. 
And like the previous episode, like the, again, like the previous episode on reframe, my advice is to practice regularly and to help identify specifically how you operate under fear. Just like we did reframe saying, Hey, you don't want to always just practice in bad situations. You don't want to wait for a bad situation to practice this. You want to practice by identifying any emotion, whether it's good or bad, um, any emotion you have throughout the day. And we have emotions all the time. We're emotional creatures, but once you identify those specific emotions, you can backtrack and say, okay, what was my thought that led into this? And then once you start defining this thought leads to this emotion, that's when you can pinpoint that thought and add additional critical thinking before that emotion kicks off. And that then you can become more practiced at automatically going into that state, automatically jumping to that as soon as something bad does happen, as soon as an abrupt change does happen, or reframe is going to be a very valuable tool in your arsenal. So similarly... For this, we want to identify those things that kick off those emotions that are rooted in fear. What is causing my anxiety? What is causing my stress? Um, if you start breaking that down and dissecting it, then you can understand how negativity bias is affecting you. Why do I think this way? If you experience the kind of reactions you have to anxiety, stress, or anger, then you can, again, backtrack and say, okay, how did I get here? I just not, I'm not angry just for any given reason. I'm angry because of something. And maybe there is no reason. And that's when you can say, okay, clearly I'm just tired or clearly I'm just having one of those days. And that's when you say, there's nothing really to be angry about. I just need to go relax. I need to go take a nap. I need to drink some water, or eat some food, hangry, right? So all these things are rooted in fear. And it's because of the associated lack of control. And I talked about that a lot in the previous half on fear, that lack of control or that perceived lack of control is primarily where fear comes from. It's, an, it's important to understand that you will not be able to control everything, but you will always have control over your response. You will always have control how you decide to respond to something, um, or at least you can have control over that. And that's where we want to be. And, and again, I want to dwell on this just for a little bit longer. Giving responsibility and your well-being to someone else is not something we want to be doing. And I can guarantee it's something that we do all the time. Uh, if you let somebody else or something else have control over your well-being, have control, like, this person is making me so angry today, or this situation is just so upsetting to me. Well, why is that? Why are you giving someone else or something else that you can't control, control over your well-being? And what's stopping you from accepting responsibility and taking ownership over your own well-being? You cannot control, again, you cannot control how other people act. You cannot control the things that have already happened to you but you can control how you respond. And that's exactly where we want to be because just, just like fear triggers those physiological, physiological responses in a life-threatening situation, it also affects us during stressful situations or anxiety or the anxiety that we're putting on ourselves because of something we can't control. You're still going to experience those adrenaline rushes, those, uh, that cortisol increase. You're going to experience rapid heart rate. You're going to experience less critical thinking panic state and you're not actually responding to anything except your own stress anxiety or fear based off of something you you have no control over so why you know that's not effective that's not an effective way to live you cannot deal with something if you cannot control how you respond to that thing but how can we respond to it well the reverse of those physiological responses is also true because our physiology is so tied to our our thoughts our, you know, our emotional reactions, which are derived from our thoughts, we can change our physical actions. And that will tell our brain, you know what, 
this is how I'm responding to this. This is how my body is responding to this. And then again, there's going to be that cognitive dissonance. If you respond, if you're physically responding one way and your thoughts are not consistent with the way you're physically responding, your brain's going to say, okay, something, something's off here. Maybe I'm not afraid. Maybe I'm not stressed. So think about, think about that conflicting information, that cognitive dissonance. If you know you're going into a stressful situation and you say, you know what, instead of having short, rapid, shallow breaths, I'm just going to take deep breaths, deep and steady breaths. Instead of having my eyes wide and alert, because I naturally want to do that in a stressed or anxious state, I'm going to have my, I'm going to soften my eyelids. I'm going to have a very casual gaze. I'm not going to let my eyes dart back and forth when I want to look around the room. I'm going to slowly do full body movements. I'm going to keep my head aligned with my torso. I'm going to widen my body. I'm going to um, have a more exposed posture not covering up those vulnerable vulnerable parts like I naturally do when I'm stressed or I'm in a fearful state because I know, I recognize the situation, I know that I'm not in a life-threatening situation. I don't need to be closed off. I don't need to be on guard. I can be exposed. Once you do these kinds of physical responses, once you control those physical responses, again, that's going to create uh, inconsistencies in your brain and you're going, your brain's going to be like, okay, maybe maybe I'm not afraid. Um, these are the same kind of recommendations that are given for having more confidence. Uh, having composure is having control over how you respond. And it's literally, and I don't always agree with this sentiment, but this is literally fake it until you make it to some degree. Now, why is it not completely fake it or make it? Well, are you actually in a life-threatening situation? If the answer is no, then you're not faking it. You're responding how you should be responding in that situation. And once your mind recognizes that it says, wait, this situation is not stressful. I am responding because I'm, I'm confident and because I'm certain of what I'm going to be doing. There's no reason to be stressed. You are affirming that this is not a stressful or anxious situation. Think of a, think of a tiger, right? So back to the whole, uh, tiger King, you're not cooped up in one of Joe exotics, little, little zoos there, um, in the middle of nowhere, but instead you are, you're out on the, planes you are confident you're in the jungle i don't know where tigers live anyways um <laughs> you, you you know you're the king of the area i'll, I'll stop with the environment because i'm just going to keep digging myself a hole, hole here but you're you're the king of the area and you know nothing nothing can compromise you you're the thing that's in control nothing nothing can uh, bring fear to you because you put fear in others obviously i'm not suggesting that you go try to <laughs> inflict fear on other people but think about how they feel at least feel like they're in control of their circumstances. They know that things are not a threat to them. They know that what's around them is not a threat to them, and they act accordingly. They move slowly. Their head is very slow and controlled. They lie down. They have a widened posture. They aren't cowering or closed off. Okay, so up until this point so far, I've really only addressed what to do when you are, you are in a fearful situation or you recognize that you've just entered a fearful situation. But... What happens when we've already experienced that? It's something that's happened in the past and we think, hey, you know, this is probably going to happen uh, again in the future. As I stated in the, in the previous segment on fear, or the previous half of the segment, fear a lot of times is, is based off of our experiences, both what we perceive to be dangerous based off of what we have experienced or have not experienced, that, that fear of the unknown. And if you know you're going to go into one of those situations in the future, if you recognize, hey, this, this is something that's going to happen to me, and it has happened to you in the past already, how do you deal with that? 
Well, we again refer back to reframe, and this is reframe in the past tense now. My organization likes to actually use this concept uh, quite a bit for anything that we do, any project that we have done. We try to recognize, hey, how how did we respond to you know the the inputs of this thing? This this situation happened. What were our objectives, and did we meet those object objectives effectively, or did we not meet them effectively? Did we uh, mess up at any point in the process? And we we go back in the timeline and say this happened. This is how I responded. This happened, and this is this response was effective or ineffective. And if it was ineffective, what was the thing that made it ineffective? How can I, in the future, respond more effectively? And we start building those if-then frameworks. Uh, this is this is very much the same as having your mental foundation creating. If this happens, I will respond this way. You're already creating those shortcuts to where you can say. I know exactly what to do in this situation. Instead of being thrust into an abrupt change, you're saying, hey, I recognize this change that is happening now, and I will respond this way. I don't have to think about it. I'm just going to do it. Now, you might be saying, well, you can't do that for every situation, and that's true. However, once you get in the practice of, of doing this reframe in reverse, uh, a lot of times it's called debriefing, then you come up with solutions. You come up with actions that you will take. Once you get practice at doing that, you'll be more effective at at doing reframe in the moment, saying, hey, I'm, re I'm in this situation, I, haven't, I, I don't know exactly what I need to do, but based off of all the other things that I've decided I would do in other situations, I probably need to do this. This is probably my best course of action, right? Now, what do we do if we know we're going to be in a stressful situation, but we haven't been able to, we haven't had that experience uh, to work from in the past. We haven't been able to use reframe in a retroactive sense, and we, we don't really know what we need to do. Well, for one, we can base it off of other people's experiences. So case in point, like currently the quarantine and the coronavirus, maybe it didn't affect us all that much, but we say, hey, if this does happen to me in the future, I can learn from what other people are doing. I can take it with a grain of salt and say, this is how I will react. By doing that, you're also creating that framework. Maybe it's not perfect. You don't have that experience to rely on. However, it's going to be a lot more effective than just winging it, right? You're going to build up that, going to mentally build up that foundation to where you can you can say this is what I'm going to do ideally, or this is what I want to do if something bad should happen to me. And I talked about a lot about that in a previous segment. I won't keep harping on it, but this is the concept of of bravery, right? You're taking action in spite of fear, and that's that's one of the true definitions of bravery. It's not doing the thing because we're not afraid. It's doing something in spite of having fear. That's where bravery truly comes from, and ultimately. We actually want to be more effective than we are brave. Yes, bravery is a good thing. We want to be brave. We want to have that confidence in order to succeed, but we also want to have certainty. And certainty comes from being effective beyond bravery. We, we're, not, we're not just fearful of it anymore. We have confidence that we will succeed because we know what's going to happen. In one of the previous segments I talked about, I used the example of getting cut off on the highway and how it's probably going to spark a, a thought and an emotional response, like you you have some kind of abrupt fear and you're like, you get angry, or you have an abrupt fear and you, you tense up. Well, if you're a NASCAR driver and that's your profession, is getting cut off all the time. If you're on that highway, you're probably not gonna be impacted in the same way, or at least I would, I would think so, because you have certainty that you can respond effectively if it was a dangerous situation. You recognize when the danger is really there. And that's ultimately where we want to be. Yes, we want to act brave when we need to, when we understand the fear and we say, I don't know what to do here, but I'm going to act the way I think I need to in spite of that, despite that. 
but ultimately we want to build the foundation so that we can be that NASCAR driver getting cut off on the freeway so that we can say, no, I know exactly what I need to do here. I know where, uh, what things I need to do or um, how I'm going to operate in this kind of situation. So throughout this, this segment, I'm getting to the end of this. I promise I won't keep you a whole lot longer. It's just a few more things. But throughout this, this, uh, this piece on fear, I've talked about a lot of the other foundations, right? Because fear is not a part of one specific domain. Sure, it happens in the mind, but it affect, and a lot of this was how to, how to think and how to respond mentally, how to build that mental foundation. And that's, that's why I put it in this, this part of the series, because I do want to focus on that mental foundation first and foremost, and I'll, I'll explain all that maybe in a later, later episode. But I've also touched upon physical responses, how fear affects your physiology based on what you're thinking, because all these things are interconnected. All these domains cross over in, in some way, shape, or form, and in multiple ways. Fear does affect our physiology, and if we understand how to physically respond, we can actually control how we think and how we emotionally respond, right? I talked about that earlier. And uh, socially, we can put be put into socially fearful situations that are not damn that are not life threatening that are not threats to our survival however if we understand that's if we have that social um, understanding if we have that social foundation and we say no this is how i'm going to act in these social situations i'm going to act with confidence i'm going to be that tiger and i'm going to know what i need to do i'm going to have composure in these kinds of social situations you know that's that's where we want to be on a social level and um that's not all what social <laughs> the social domain is about but that's how you can see how it intersects there but I specifically wanted to directly address the spiritual side of things because a, another very powerful tool, and the reason I didn't bring this up up to this point, is because there's a lot of things we have to understand about the spiritual side before we dig into this, you know, before we just kind of glaze over it. I wanted to be very direct about this. A very powerful tool against fear is trust. Trusting in a higher power, trusting in something that is beyond yourself, something that you have purpose in, something that you you know is bigger than you, will go a long way in overcoming your circumstantial fears because you know that regardless of what happens, that purpose is still going to be true. That higher power is still going to be true and still going to be there. Um, whether, whether you're religious or not, uh, I'm not trying to push religion or anything like that, but just be cautious about what you're putting your faith in, what you're putting your trust in, because Again, it's a very powerful tool against fear. However, if you put your trust and you put your faith into something that is not going to stand up, is not going to stand the test of time, and is is, is going to let you down eventually, then you're probably putting your, your trust, you're probably putting your faith in, into something that is, is going to crush you in the end. You're going to have to work from a foundation that no longer exists. Your, your foundation is going to crumble if you put your trust into something that will let you down. So just keep that in mind. We'll dig a lot more into that when we talk about the spiritual side of things uh, more directly. But I just want to introduce that because trust is a, a very powerful way to address fear. And the, the second piece on the spiritual side is actually a prayer that, it, again, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not, just listen to the words and understand the intent behind it. It goes like this. It's called the Prayer of Serenity. And it says, Lord, Give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, if you listen to those words, you're saying, give me the peace, give me the, you know, the calm, 
give me the the lack of fear, the lack of anxiety to accept all those things that I can't change, those things I, I, I know I can't change. I don't have control over other people. I don't have control over things that have already happened or things that will happen beyond my reach. Give me the courage to make change where I can. Help me to, to make change. Help me to change my mindset. Help me to change what my actions are within my reach and help me to understand the difference because with that understanding truly comes the, the clarity to continue on. And that's where I wanted to leave it off because um, we can't operate from a place of fear if we want to grow. In order to build our foundation, we must understand our fears, we must learn from our experiences, and we must take control where we can so that we are not operated by fear. When we understand this, we can choose to grow. And that's what the next segment is going to all be about, is about growth and how to get into that, that right mindset so that we can grow beyond our circumstances. If you enjoyed these ramblings and you want to come back, I'll talk to myself again for you next time.